If you only hone the few things that you know you're good at or that people tell you you are good at, you are actually limiting not only your own experience, but all the people's experience with whom you work. Welcome to Artist as Leader, where we explore the intersection of creativity and leadership. I'm Rob Kramer, founder and CEO of Kramer Leadership. And I'm Corey Madden, Executive Director of the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. So Corey, who did you speak to for this episode? I interviewed Vivian Banesh, the Artistic Director of Playmakers Repertory in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, at her house near the theater. Vivian is one of my favorite artist leaders, and she's about to break a really big barrier this year by being one of the very few women who has both acted and now directed on Broadway when she opens Birthday Candles by Noah Heidel at the Roundabout Theater later this spring. As the Artistic Director of Playmakers Repertory, she's also leading the way in our field, particularly around gender equity. In 2018-19, she made the very bold decision to have every single play on the stage directed by women, which is really a, a, a real step forward. That's wonderful. Yeah, I was, I was really excited to get a chance to talk with her. And I started our interview by talking to her first about her training and how it influenced the way she leads. Yeah, I'm one of those people who's known what I wanted to do since I was five and also incredibly blessed that I had artists and art all around me growing up. And both on my mother's side of the family, my mother and grandmother were both modern dancers. And on my father's side of the family, my grandfather was a museum curator and my grandmother was a pianist. So just start there. And my grandfather on my mother's side was an architect turned one of the first interior designers uh, who really sort of used that as a, or made that into a career. There was such a highly developed sense of the aesthetic in my family, but that also came with a huge amount of of judgment, judgment of me, which I sort of had to deal with in my youth, adolescence, and throughout my adulthood now, too, how I use that for the good and for strength as an artist and as certainly as an artistic leader. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like those, um, it comes to everything from how to give notes, uh, what I'm seeing, how I feel like that was developed in me at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to act, direct, teach, and be a criminal lawyer for <laughs> all the things I knew from a very early age. I actually desperately wanted to be a dancer, but I have flat feet, and that was over very quickly. I kept injuring myself, and that was never to be. So theater sort of came came in, and but that balance of directing and acting, certainly, like they were always inextricably linked until I felt like I needed to start making choices And I am very, very blessed to have had incredible mentors in my life. And the first of those is a woman named Rebecca Guy, who was my high school acting teacher. And I like to say that every step in my career is thanks to her until the job here at Playmakers Repertory Company. Um, She brought me as a student to the Chautauqua Theatre Company when she was running it. And it was my summer there in my senior year at Brown where she said, you know, you can do this professionally. 
but you should, the best training for both acting and directing, if you happen to be lucky enough to do both, is the actor's training. So under her advice, I went to graduate school at NYU as an actor. And halfway through, I remember thinking, oh my God, thank God I made this choice. This was exactly what I needed, what I wanted. And for my first six years out of school, I really was acting. And I always say in my acting career, it was on the very good side of realistic. I worked a lot. Um, I was sort of known as a classical actress, but then my first agent said, oh, no one's going to know what to do with you for at least 10 years. Go to the regions, go work. And I did, and I feel very blessed that that happened, where so many other people said, no, I'm going to stay in New York and try and see if the big TV show or the film career happened, and they then stopped working for so long. And six years later, Rebecca Guy called me up again and said, you need to start directing again. And I said, yeah, I do. And she brought me to Chautauqua uh, to direct The Skin of Our Teeth. And that was in 2001, in August before September 11th. Mm. And I remember working on that particular play right before September 11th was sort of really woke me up to the power that a story has for us to help process what is going on in our lives, Mm -hmm. both on a global and most intimate way. That was the first time that that connection hit me so, so hard. And from there, I just started directing and acting, again, directing and acting, mostly educationally at NYU, at Juilliard, at Brown, and... Then, again, Rebecca called me and said, I'm retiring from Chautauqua. You should apply for this job. And it seemed like the perfect thing because it was a summer theater, a wonderful summer festival, and a conservatory, and would allow me to continue acting and directing the rest of the year. What I learned is it doesn't matter if it's three months of you know, a two-week festival or a year-round theater, it's a year-round job. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really the beginning of my movement into, into leadership. Mm-hmm. First, I was a co-artistic director with my then partner in life and work, Ethan McSweeney, and we did that together for five years, uh, and then I took it over on my own. I was at Chautauqua for 12 seasons, and then Joe Hodge, who was my predecessor here at Playmakers Rep, had brought me down to direct. I had come down and directed three times. And so when he got the Guthrie Theater job, he called me up and he said, you should consider applying to this. And I never would have expected I'd wind up in the South, but I'd had such great experiences directing down here and wanted to see what it meant to be in dialogue with the community year-round and on in an ongoing basis that way and it felt like a great fit it also has a conservatory and the professional company side by side and that felt absolutely right and so now i am about to in about a week's time celebrate four years here Congratulations. That's wonderful. 
talk a little bit more about the specifics of how that mentoring at a young age and then also how mentoring works for you today. What do you, what do you see as motivating that in you? And also what's um, important to you about it? I think what I experienced at a young age, and I recognize how lucky I am for it, is that someone like Rebecca Guy saw the possibility and literally sort of, it, it wasn't just encouragement, it was a challenge in the best way, to challenge with support, to challenge and say, if you fail, it's okay, but, but leap, go, uh, we're here, we believe in you. And to be able to instill that in someone, especially at a young age, to know that going forward, that confidence is like 80% of what's necessary, right? You can learn a lot of the rest of it, but that self-confidence to take the risk and to take the risk to fail is everything. And you have to know that people are going to believe in you and love you on the other side. Another mentor, Zelda Fitzchandler. So I was lucky to be at NYU's graduate program while she was running it. And she would, every year she would start with just these sort of talks to us all to inspire us, and they really did. And I hear there's a book coming out of many of them, so I look forward to that. But the one that I remember from my first year, she said, you are here to train to investigate the thousand possibilities of who you are, not to hone the three that you may be lucky enough to be asked to use for the rest of your career. And that to me has been a, a guiding principle for me as a teacher, as an artist, and as a, an artistic leader, because transformation is, again, it's related to the act of bravery, right? You have to, you don't know what's possible until you go there. If you only hone the few things that you know you're good at or that people tell you you are good at, you are actually limiting not only your own experience, but all the people's experience with whom you work. So I like to think of, even when I'm planning a season, when I'm planning a season and sort of thinking of it as a journey, that sure, a lot of audience members who come and see the six main stage shows we go don't necessarily feel the journey that I do, but I pay a huge amount of attention to that because I want them to have a variety of experiences because I don't know what's going to move them. Everyone has their own triggers. Everyone has their own triggers for joy, mm -hmm. triggers for resistance, trigger, you know, in, in a world of everything that trigger means these days, it's probably a, a little bit of a hot word to use this, but actually it's right. The arts are triggering. An artistic leader should trigger, but do so responsibly. Mm -hmm. So the thousand possibilities of who you are, I'm trying to ask that of the artists that I work with, the administrators I work with, as well as the audience. Yeah, that's great. And I, I hear in your both mentoring your, the mentorship associated with 
the beginnings of your career and also with how you've carried it forward, that you actually have a much more expansive and much more curious and open style of leadership? I try to. I think that is really, I mean, I've, the word collaboration is a, is a great one and it is the style, the impulse to collaborate uh, is the most exciting one for me. I would say people say of me that I am collaborative to a fault. I think I heard Larissa on the podcast with you talking about like best idea in the room is the best idea. That's, I, I agree with that completely. I think my talent is knowing what that is, is being able to go, yes. Mm-hmm. The thing I love most about leadership is the alchemy of bringing people together to create and giving them the, a space where they feel excited to do so. And I feel that the artist in me, the actor and the director, that it comes from that base, right? It comes from the yes and imaginative work that you can't do an improv and, and negate someone else. You have to accept it and take it on. Right. I'm hearing so much in the in the kind of language that you're using about the room, the rehearsal room, and the process of making plays. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could kind of reflect a little bit more for me around all these other stakeholders you have to work with who don't practice necessarily in theater. Mm-hmm. How do you see yourself... Um, take some of that learning and apply it in those settings and or what's hard about shifting gears from being in that rehearsal room where we we do feel that sense of possibility and where there's almost there is a a a given set of circumstances to allow for creative process Mm -hmm. sometimes if you're in a marketing meeting to what degree Mm -hmm. does that go on so i think the first thing that i have encountered personally at this point is people always find uh, my enthusiasm both I think a very positive thing, but also they're a little like, mm, just a little wary about it. They're like, really, is she going to make the hard decisions? Is she going to make, I generally do have a positive, uh, enthusiastic outlook. I'm genuinely inspired by the work. But when you're in those budget meetings and marketing meetings and development meetings or talking to uh, a, a playwright about why they should let you develop their next piece. It's about listening as much as it is about all that enthusiasm and energy, right? So I think that's the other side to all of that. You are energized as a listener. And I think that's something an artist leader probably, you know, that I think about the training, is it possible to teach how to listen? I think you either have it or you don't, and really good actors do that. And I would like to posit that a really good artist leader can do that. Later in our talk, I asked Vivian if she described a leadership challenge she faced in recent years. So one of the things that happens here is a show can be hugely successful and it was one of the hardest things on the company or the getting there, the process, you know, the questionable, was the process worth the outcome? And 
generally, if you're an audience member, you come and go, yes, it was, of course it was. Oh my God, what a fantastic show. Look at the risks you're taking. Look at the, the, the artistry that was on display and you're making us think and you're like, good. Hey, Viv, you're doing exactly what you said you would do. And then you come to your meetings with the constituents inside your company who made it happen and they're exhausted, they're frustrated, they don't think the product was worth the process, necessarily. And that hasn't happened a lot, but it happens and it's going to continue happening. And the resilience that I sort of have to continually like remind myself and get more sophisticated, I hope, in well, sophisticated isn't the word, more mature in allowing that to happen. You go into your sort of postmortems, your debriefs, and you need to let your staff unload. And you need to listen to try to decipher what is actually possible change and what was just an experience. You know what? We don't always love our work and every day of it. And sometimes it's really hard. That has happened in my four years, three times, three times. <laughs> People who know me are going to be going, what shows is she talking about? What <laughs> shows the, and that's okay. But like three times where there's just a really like a product that we should be proud of. And the first time it happened when I was here, a gigantic success for us. And I was so disheartened. I was so sad that the pride that I had for the work was not shared by the company. And that's gonna happen. And so, you know, three out of uh, 18 shows is not too bad, right? It's not too bad. But uh, I'm now quoting, but I think it was a quote of a quote of a quote, so I don't know who to attribute it to. But being tough in the face of something tender and being tender in the face of things that are tough. Manipulating between those two things is the job. And the days where you just want to be tender and like curl up and and uh, say this is too much or this is you know and you want to I have learned to know that it's going to pass that's the only thing I can say I no longer take it as the end of the road or the end of my career or the I sort of go okay okay what can I learn from this hopefully what can I take forward how can you have some wins when you are able to get in and help something get better. Those are great moments. Those are, again, mentorship moments uh, with a young director or with, um, uh, with an audience member who, who writes a really nasty letter and you write back or you call and you have the conversation and by the end of that conversation, they have completely forgotten not forgotten, but like put aside the thing that they were furious about because they are genuinely moved that you want to have the conversation. You can't do that for hundreds of people, but when you have the time to do that occasionally, it's a really rewarding 
moment. Um, it's really interesting to me. I've, I, at one point in my career, I, I said that I was done with the drama in drama. <laughs> and I think that, that it was a leadership moment for me where I realized that it didn't help me to react dramatically to this turbulence. And I think that's what I hear you saying is that as a leader, you've, you've gotten to the point where you go, actually, I'm the person who's the navigator in the boat. And if I rock the boat a whole lot in reaction to the turbulence, I'm not really navigating. You speak so well about these things. Like, true, I think that's absolutely right. Knowing when to lead from the front and when to lead from behind and, and just push, push and see that it, what needs to happen happens is really important, again, to distinguish those two things, to know what is, a, what is the real capital D drama where I have to step in and say, no, not okay. What's great is that when that happens, people are still like, oh, oh, Viv, we don't see Viv like that a lot. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's still effective, right? There is that. The people who use that every day, it, it no longer becomes effective. I ended our conversation by asking Vivian what needs to change to encourage more artists, particularly those who don't feel like leadership is in their future, to step up and lead. Well, first of all, I think we're in a moment where the multiple hat-wearing artist is, is you know, that is now expected to a degree. Not saying that there's anything wrong with you have your one specific passion, not at all. But the expectation and the allowance that you can be good at more than one thing and that those can actually help each other and be part of each other is our currency, is the currency right now. So for me, what I would say is don't see your separate passions as competing with each other. See them as feeding each other. And if that's just doing that as an artist and you keep going just by their intersection, they are going to turn into more than just the art itself. Whether it's that's about the business of your art, whether it's about the way you need to communicate it, what platform it exists on, that by necessity, how you amplify your own artistry becomes a quality of leadership. It's that that I don't think we used to have control over. We were told as artists you know, go do your thing and wait till someone tells you, oh, I want to produce you doing this. Oh, I want to do that. Oh, I want. Now, for all the obvious reasons, we have the ability and practically there is the expectation that you are the producer of it as well. And to think of leadership, not just leadership doesn't mean necessarily a, a large company, Leadership is also a project. Wow, that was fantastic, Corey. Uh, The thing I love about Vivian is she's so clearly passionate, infectious, her energy and enthusiasm. It just jumps, you know, right out through the speakers. And having met her myself as well, she always seems to carry herself that way. 
she has that charisma of an actress. Um, and then she also has these incredible listening skills of an actress. I think that's one of the things that I really get pulled into when I, I speak with her. And I think that that's such an interesting example of a, of a transferable skill. Um, she's taken that and, and uses it as a director to pay deep attention to her artists on stage and to really understand her staff and mm. then to help bring that group of people together around you know, big challenges. Yeah, it can be easy in those roles to regularly forget to communicate expectations or um, what's acceptable or non-acceptable. And she really illuminates for us the importance of kind of setting the stage or setting the context for a team um, that they can work within. And then she gets out of the way and lets them shine. Right. I think that's one of the things that she probably did have to learn as a director and particularly as an artistic director is that she would have to be the person who would articulate the expectations and then let people um, move forward. It's it's really interesting to think about now that she's also a conservatory head so that she's molding the next generation who may need a little bit more handholding, um, but ultimately are all headed in the same direction where all of them will have these opportunities to you know, guide their own careers. And I think she's such a wonderful model because she really does you know, create the impression that you can do it all. Yeah, she's really living it and demonstrating it for others and very conscious of what she's portraying to the next generation. So really great interview, Corey. Oh, well, thanks. I really had a good time. So there's a longer version of this interview on our website at www.uncsa.edu slash artist as leader. And we'd love to hear from you. So please find us on Facebook at Keenan Institute for the Arts and let us know other artist leaders you'd love us to feature. Piercarlo Talenti is our producer and editor. Our theme music is by The Dimes. I'm Corey Madden. And I'm Rob Kramer. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.